All right, I'm in my bed. Um, it's a little creaky, creaky, cracky, and uh, I'm still adjusting my microphone, of course. I decided not to live stream again because it's too distracting. Um, and then I do like the energy it gives, but I live streamed it. And when I went back to watch the video, it had no audio and I had to do some kind of encoding thing and I had to download a thing and please don't explain to me what I need to do. I will figure it out and or just not do it. Uh, <laughs> I, um, wow, what a week. It has been a lot of highs and lows. I did record an episode. Did I record an episode and then I wasn't happy with the audio? I mean, there's always something, isn't there? I am in the very dead smack in the middle of the last week of school of actual classes. I teach at the college level, which I will remind American listeners would be the equivalent of community college. Um... So my students, I'm teaching two four-credit classes, and my students have final exams next week. So other than proctoring my two exams, I'm not teaching particularly. I just have one more class to quote-unquote teach, but it's really just a review period and a chance for students to sort of meet with me if they have any concerns about their marks. And I will use it to get myself organized um, for the exams next week. I'm already pretty much organized, but I mean, the bits that I have to fiddle with and, um, the, I, I don't think too many students are going to come to class tomorrow because it's an extra review period if they want it. And I think the people who came to the review we already had earlier in the week are pretty solid on everything. So if people turn up, I will help them and show them stuff. But to be honest, I think if you um, overload students with all the information they learned all semester the week before the test, it just stresses people out more than anything. Um, and it's like one of those things where I my very favorite thing about teaching is giving students who have kind of fucked it up already a chance at redemption because I was very much that kind of student. And I think one of the most important things that we can learn as adult learners, which I think, you know, my students are a real range of age, but I will say that some of them, it is their first sort of um, post, post-secondary educational experience. Is that right? I, I'm trying to remember what if post-secondary means high school. I think it does. 
Um, anyway, so there's some that are younger and some who are, you know, older and coming back after, you know, um, having, you know, all kinds of things that life brings our way. People go back to, you know, get certified and to get, um, entry into a new, uh, career field or whatever. So it's a real range of perspectives and it's funny to watch the people who are returning or who are older, more mature students, you know, they have the life experience and they know how to manage everything and they know that they're not being given an insurmountable task and they just have to do the work and, um, keep an eye on their marks. And so it's fun, I think, because, you know, even the students who are just hot messes, like I have a lot of empathy for them because I think I've always been that way and prone to panic. I used to teach SAT preparation and all the way up to like the LSAT and the MCAT examinations. I would occasionally pinch hit teach because I worked at a testing center that did every all the different tests um, and the test, test preparation for it. And this company, which I won't name, but they're like one of the biggies, um, they um, they did a lot of research about testing and they did a lot of research about standardized testing and outcomes. And one of the things that they always imparted on students, and I continue to impart on students, even though I am now in the public education sector rather than the private. And ironically, that job was my first real job out of college. So I guess I, I've sort of weirdly been in and out of the education world without really meaning to. Um, uh, and I've worked with educators throughout my arts career, um, doing worship workshops and stuff. So I guess I haven't really ever fully had my both two feet out of the education world in a way. Um, but the best thing you can do before you take a test is get a good night's sleep and eat breakfast. You want to have nice, even blood sugar levels, and you want to be rested. Almost everything else is out of your control by the time the day of the test comes or the 48 hours before the test. And even the week before, um, you can only learn so much and retain so much information in one period of time. And that's why cramming doesn't work. And that's why people like myself who are just prone to procrastination, putting everything until the last minute and then letting the adrenaline drive you to the finish line because you just don't, for whatever reason, have the necessary executive function abilities to um, do just a little bit every week. And so by the time you get to the end, you're panicking and that panic kind of gives you a momentum and, a, and almost a bit of a, an adrenaline high. Um, you actually can't cram all the knowledge of a semester into your brain the week before the test. Um, you can do enough. And in fact, I, I, I skated by, you know, most classes that I ever took um, in high school and in university, I would skate by with a good final exam grade usually. And all this stuff that happened all semester, the small assignments and the homeworks and this, this and that, I just did not keep up with. I had no problem sitting down and doing a thousand pages of reading in 72 hours. Um, and then writing a piece, sitting down and writing a paper for six hours straight. But if they told me to do 30 minutes of work on it 
each week for the preceding 15 weeks of the semester, I could not be arsed. Couldn't be arsed. It's an expression my grandfather uh, used to use. He also used to say wash instead of wash. So, um, you're like, oh, give it a good wash. (laughs) Just like, like, hey, wash that. Give it a good wash. Or you would have me helping him in his garden. And uh, he'd be like, give it a nice soak. Give it a good, give that plant a good drink. Yeah, I miss my grandpa. He's, uh, he's, I feel like he's very close to me all the time. I just, he and I always had, uh, such a connection since childhood. And partially I think that's because my brother and I, out of all of his grandkids, probably just happened to spend the most time with him because from when we were little until we moved to the States, we were always sort of regularly, um, seeing him. And my other cousins were either younger when he was older or they lived further away. Um, but I feel like the spring and the time of year when it's time to go drag all the stuff out and wash it, you know, uh, get get the, all the weird weeds and whatever's left over, old tangled roots in the garden beds and you know, digging out all the weeds that came in late in the season and and that kind of work, I, I very much associate it with my grandfather. Um, and that's probably because around Easter time, which, you know, depending on what time of year Easter fell, could be at late April, um, like it is this year, I would usually, that would be the when he would open up the cottage um, that he had and... Um, this cottage was like, so cottages in Canada, if you don't know about Canadian cottage culture, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, other than to say that cottage is a very loose term that Canadians use, um, to mean they're, and I would say pretty specifically white Canadians used to mean their second or summer homes, but cat cottage can be anything from like a grand palace of the wealthy. Um, that's like where you're talking about your Muskoka's, <laughs> Um, then there's also people who, who, for whom cottage just means like a prefabricated home that is essentially a trailer. Um, maybe from an economic standpoint, maybe it's like a half a notch up above a, a trailer. Like a trailer is inherently trashy. Whereas like, you know, if you had a, have a cottage that your grandfather, like in my family's case had bought this prefabricated home from I want to say this year's catalog and they delivered it in pieces and put it up and it was very bare bones um but you know that's the thing you have this this summer you know place that is maybe 10 steps above shack (laughs) and you you know send the kids there and the wife out there for the summer and and you come you know during your holidays you being I guess in this case my grandfather the patriarch of the family um he worked as a meteorologist and would um be in Ottawa working I guess and then would come when he could and the kids would kind of go up there for the summer my dad is one of five children so I think getting them out of the house when the weather was hot was probably a pretty prime motivation for getting it but um in New Hampshire where my mother lives um 
people don't really do the cottage thing. Some people have a lake house or some people um, have like a, 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 like a, a beach house if they you know are lucky enough to own property in and um, along the New England coast. But they don't have cottages because where you live is already kind of like cot- like New Hampshire where my mom lives is already cottage country and so they it's not really a thing. Some people will have a house out on an island, which would be the closest thing I've ever known of a for an American to having a Canadian style quote unquote cottage where, you know, they're like, we're rich enough to have two homes. And one of them we only go to in the summertime. I would love to have a beach house or a lake house. Uh, I'd love to have a house. That's... (laughs) So when I said it was a roller coaster this week, I meant it because on top of exams, I'm also preparing to leave my sublet, which ends May 1st. And I had set up a sublet. I was really, really excited about it um, in the gay village in Toronto. And it was kind of a roll of the dice I was taking. Um, And uh, the roll of the dice did not pay off because circumstances have changed. And now I'm not going to be able to move into it. So I'm kind of scrambling in this on paper. I'm scrambling on paper. It's really funny. So today happens to be National Sibling Day. And uh, my friend had made a post about it. So then I said, is it really a National Sibling Day? Oh my God, I better talk to my, I better post something cute about my siblings because I do, I really love my siblings. And then it was cute because then my younger sister, I can't say baby sister anymore because she's 30, but my younger sister Liz um, video chatted me and then added my brother, who is two years older, Brian, to the video chat and then we just had the best time and it made me feel really good um because you know just at the cusp of my marriage ending um my separation from my spouse happened and then I immediately went to Amsterdam to my sisters who I unfairly have not spent enough time with in my life. Like we, we were lucky in that when I moved to the States in grade five, I lived with my sister from grade five until, um, the end of my first year of university. And I just feel really lucky to have had that time because when my sister was younger than that, we only saw her a couple times a year because she lived with my mother And, um, my brother and I are, have always been very close, but like we lived to, we lived with each other from when I was born until I, um, started university. And then after that, we never lived in the same place again, but we have that core childhood that is shared. And in a way, my sister also, even though she, she feels sometimes left out because she's younger Um, she's eight years younger than my brother and six years younger than me. Um, but like, we also have these, this core time we spent together as well. And so it's just like, I just feel so lucky to have them both in my life. Um, and to have those shared memories with them. Like my friends who are only children, I, I just, I don't mean this to sound condescending, but I just feel bad for them. Because having somebody who grew up with you, who has the same parents, one or both parents as you, it's just special in a way that I just feel really blessed 
to have them too. We we have matching um, tattoos that are the Triforce symbol from the Legend of Zelda because we're fucking nerds and um, it kind of makes sense because there's three of us. It's the Triforce. It's a triangle within a triangle is sort of what the symbol looks like. And uh, so it's like we're the Triforce because there's three of us and, and also because we're just fucking nerds. It was that or we were going to get some kind of tribute to um, GoldenEye 64. So, I mean, uh, I think we chose wisely. I think the iconography, the non-culturally appropriative iconography of the Legend of Zelda universe, which, to be fair, in its own way is probably deeply culturally appropriative, but like at least a symbol from a video game is like a fictional... It's like there's more than one layer of filter, artistic filter between it and whatever, you know, sources they pulled their, you know, I think the designers of the game probably did pull from a lot of different um, groups and also their own imaginations. But um, I say this because my brother has a matching tattoo with his best friend Shane that they got in grade 10 I feel like if he ever listened to this he won't (laughs) like thank god this is what I always say about all my family it's like I could worry about them listening to this but I also know they have zero interest because when they talk to me they have to listen to me go on for like an hour straight so the last thing they want to do is listen to my podcast um, but my brother's matching tattoo. I was going to say he would be mad about me making fun of him for this, but then I was reassuring myself that he will not listen to this podcast. Um, what if he does now? Oh my God, I'll feel bad for like a hot second, but not really. Uh, Cause he can take it. He's put up with me his whole life. He's quite possibly the most patient man in existence. And whenever people are like, you hate men, I'm like, absolutely not. Cause some of my favorite people in the world are men including my brother um but he and his best friend Shane in grade 10 got or grade 10 maybe it was 12 they were on a yeah because I think they went on their class trip to Virginia Beach and they got matching kanji like Japanese kanji like tattoos and I don't think it says what they think it says and they're pretty sure it doesn't, they, you know what I mean? Like, but they were, they were children in the night and this was the nineties. So can I forgive them for doing it only because it's the type of buffoonery that only it serves to be funny later on and, and not because, you know, I don't think it's deeply harmful act as much as I think when you do something when you don't when you don't know the depths of what you're putting on your body like you don't know like you're not fluent in that language you're almost certainly setting yourself up for some kind of buffoonery in the same way that if you get like a tr- quote unquote tribal tattoo and you're a white person and a white settler specifically um yeah you're it's never a good it's never going to be a good look but also like when you look at old white men's tattoos, it's like horrific. Like you're like, these need to be made into a book when these old white guys die and just like, 
you know, like how there's like all that like creepy ass, like Nazi like stuff made out of human skin. Like I feel like there was like some Nazis who are really hot to trot for like lamps made out of human flesh, (laughs) Buffalo Bill, Nazi, like just cartoonish, grotesque. The problem with dehumanizing people as a practice is that you very quickly become a cartoon villain. Um, like, uh, what's his name? The purple pieman um, of the Trump administration. You know what I'm talking about. The steampunk Roger Stone. He dresses in, like, weird steampunk. There's a level of heightened reality about his aesthetic that is, like, very on the nose and, like, a little too winking and a little too knowing, knowingly being like, I am a cartoon villain and nobody can stop me. Like, the level of, like, just pure sociopath you have to be to, like, act that way in the world. Am I making sense? I definitely lost my train of thought, for sure. And I definitely did have a little too, tiny toot, a little hoot off of a little hoot pen, but I'm not like ripped. I just, I might be straying from my points. Um, I have quit smoking cigarettes and it is a very long time coming and an embarrassing situation. Speaking of like family who will never, I mean, I guess if I die tragically, maybe my family will come back and listen to this, but I can't promise that. I I can't promise that at all. But it will be interesting for them if I did die tragically to listen to this. Like, I wish I had just, like, I wish I had given my friend Alicia, who passed away, um, uh, like, an audio cassette recorder for her to just speak into and, like, record what she was thinking. I would love, love just to hear her thoughts on anything. Um... Any day of the week, I would listen to her read the phone book right now. Like, what a precious gift the time that I had with her was. And, like, I have to remember that part of it. It was um, her birthday recently. Also, her sister, Beck, who, uh, hallelujah's alive. Beck Merchant is Alicia Louise Merchant's sister who I had met so many times but like I was so dazzled like truly just like struck blind in love with just the high wattage intensity beam that was Alicia Louise Merchant and um I was so dazzled by Alicia that I had met Beck and not known who she was not known that she was Alicia's sister and then at some point I noticed I think she added me as a friend or maybe she was just always on the same Facebook conversation threads with people I knew. And I said to Alicia, who is Beck? And she was, and Beck had this handle on Facebook that was like not her real name. Beck the girl. I was like, who is Beck the girl? And she's like, that's Becky. And I was like, who's Becky? And she's like, that's my sister. You've met her several times. She like always does doors at my, the door at my events. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I just, I didn't understand. There's this like this air of mystery about Beck and who Beck was. And Beck turns out 
is just as radical and cool and like just lovable and amazing as her sister was. And so like, again, the gift of a friend who has incredible family and friends is that you get to meet the other amazing people in their life and like connect with them. But I think I can speak for all of us who miss Alicia and who know her and love her still like, and who hold her in like a very dear place in our heart is like, we all carry her in us and like are so grateful to have known her. Um, and I think, yeah, we would all love to have anything she could have put together. I, it's a dream of mine to like, get her writing together and get it in the hands of somebody who's more capable and like knowledgeable about publishing than I am. And like, I feel like she has a book's worth of material in the writing she did in various places. Um, it wouldn't be a project that I could do because I don't have that skill set of like, I, I need like somebody who is an editor. Luckily, Alicia also had this really magical way of she was so magnetic and she drew all these people to her from various realms and I feel like a lot of publishing and book and writing and literary people were in her um orbit and in in her life and I I just want to take those people who had that connection with her and like get them together with all of the stuff she had done because she was just I said to her sister I said to Beck at one point over Facebook I want to say or maybe text, I was like, is it rude to be jealous of my friend, even though they are dead? <laughs> because she was so fucking talented and brilliant and just had such a beautiful way of phrasing things. And it's bad when you're like jealous of someone when they are dead. I will say that. It is not a cute look. It's not a good move on the ego. It's not healthy to carry jealousy and and envy um, around with you, especially because it's not like, for me, it's, it's the real important part of this is not the jealousy, but rather just this true, deep seated admiration and love and affection I have for her. Um, and always will until the day I die. And I wrote on her coffin because she had an eco burial, which included just a very plain wood, almost like balsa wood <laughs> a little more sturdy than that but very it's meant to be healthy for the earth because most of the shit that the funeral and industry put in the ground is not good for the earth turns out um but they were like yeah we can give you a bunch of you know you guys can bring markers and you can write on the coffin so we all wrote on her coffin which is very punk rock and also a little high school yearbook in a very weird way and very appropriate for who Alicia was and um everyone got a chance to write something and I wrote on it um I wrote on her coffin that something to the tune of um I will protect the ones you love and I will um avenge you in the face of your enemies <laughs> basically like I I've I there are some people I know Alicia just did not like and I don't even know these people, but I, 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 because she did not like them, I will never like them. <laughs> and like, it might just be one story of someone being kind of a dick, but I'll, I'm hold, I will hold that for her. That is, you know, I don't like to pick up the burdens or the emotional labor of other people lately. I don't take it lightly, but as a Scorpio and as a true ride or die friend of Felicia, I will carry that for her, um, 
until I die. Uh, after that, it'll probably be gone, but who knows, maybe a future generation will find this recording, and much like the framing device of um, the book The Handmaid's Tale, maybe this audio tape <laughs> will be all that's left of humanity in a post-apocalyptic dystopia and they will be like fuck man shit was dark for millennials this girl's got no housing and no job starting in three weeks from today and she's just glibly recording a podcast i made an intro song i don't know if it's too weird I just got inspired and um, like I, I was saying, I, I said to my sister today when she Skyped me, which was, again, a gift, true gift. I just, I've never on, it's never not fun when I'm with my siblings or with my my immediate family. Like it's, it, we just have, like we just were putting on face filters and laughing like idiots and like that's how it was on Facebook fucking new year's eve in amsterdam where my brother and his wife and i were just just looking and my sister and her boyfriend who are you know european or at least her boyfriend is is 100 percent european and my sister is like european by proximity for the last 12 years or 15 years of her life or whatever 15 no let's say 10 um <laughs> can't do math uh we were just like looking around laughing like idiots watching these fireworks go off for a straight hour started they started scattering in the afternoon these fireworks just loose unregulated anyone can set them off europeans really love fucking pyrotechnics turns out um and started in the afternoon, scattered here and there for 10 minutes or five or whatever, or just one off. And then by the time midnight, it was like quarter to midnight, the fireworks were just continuous and all around us, starting from like 10 kilometers away, all the way to like off of the building we were on. They were being set off all around us for uh, until like almost 1.30 in the morning. They were just going off so long and we were just laughing like idiots because, of course, we're in Amsterdam. We're high as fuck. We're on a balcony of my sister's apartment. The dogs are going crazy. <laughs> and the fireworks just did not stop. And we just laughed like idiots. And that's what we did today when we were on the fucking Skype call. We just laughed like idiots. It's just like I feel lucky to have my family Sometimes I feel very distant because I don't, I haven't lived where my family lives in so long. And like I have this extended chosen family of my very dear friends who, again, I also haven't lived in the same place with any of them for about three years. And I miss people. I just miss that feeling of like my community and like I'm really excited to have a little flexibility. Um, I said to my sister... I am because my sister's also kind of in a place of like imbalance and like in between things right now where she's in a transition phase of leaving Amsterdam and um, eventually going back to the U.S. for, you know, a little time off, a little R&R, some family connecting time. And, you know, I said, I am choosing not to stress out about the fact that the sublet fell through because all you want when you're 
up to your eyeballs in commitments and locked into a specific life, a specific job, a specific place. All you want and crave is freedom. So when you actually have it, you can't be terrified by it. You can't be overwhelmed and stressed out by it and trying to control it. If you have the looseness in your schedule to do things that you normally wouldn't have the freedom to do, you have to look at it as a gift and embrace the transition, embrace the gray area you're in. And some things aren't going to be certain and some things aren't going to be comfortable and some things are going to be a little scary, but you can choose to be stressed or you can choose to embrace the loose improv sort of, you know, it's like, uh, free form jazz. You, <laughs> you could be freaked out cause you don't know what the fuck's going to happen or you can just roll with it. And even if you don't love jazz, <laughs> this is such a weird analogy. Even if you don't love it, you know, it's like a roller coaster ride. It's, it's exhilarating, but it's scary. And it's also brief, you know? And a lot of it is just that anticipation while you're waiting in line for an hour. And then when the fucking ride finally is over, you're like, wow, that was so fast. That was such a blip in my radar where things were completely out of my control. But I think for me right now, this is a very truly, truly transitional period for me. And I'm just trying to live and breathe through it and... You know, what's happening? Oh my God, are you kidding me? Hello? Hello. Hi, do you need something? Or? No, no, I just came over there to okay. sit there and look around. It'll make John just feel out. Yeah, it. he'll be back. Yeah. He's coming yeah. back in the morning, so. Yeah. Landlord is on vacation and um, took his little seven-year-old son with him on vacation and uh they went to the Dominican and so he's gone for one week and uh the neighbor just came by and is in the house um just checking in making sure there's no leaks you know and uh I am just pretending that, you know, oh, he's whistling. Pretending that this is a normal thing that happens and not be too weirded out by it. He's whistling and looking around the basement to make sure there's no leaks. If I get murdered, it was Stan, the neighbor. Just know that. Y'all good? The neighbor just left. I already tweeted about this, but I'm going to make this the closing bit because I don't want this podcast to be an hour and a half long. 
Um, I probably will be buried up in marking because I have 72 hours from my exam on Monday to mark and return the grades. And then I have an exam on Wednesday. And again, I have 72 hours. They give you 72 hours so that the students can know if they're going to pass or if they need to appeal their grades or whatever, right? And um, so I'm going to be up to my ass balls <laughs> in marking. And uh, you, I don't know if I'll put an episode out next week. I literally am on the brink of not knowing what I'm about to do with my life. I think I will most likely crash at my friend Arlie's new place when she moves May 1st. I will probably crash with her for a bit. And then I'm going to see my family and try and do some gigs outside of um, town. But anyway, the neighbor just... So the, the, the landlord's gone. He took his son. They went to the Dominican for one week. And this is the second time now that the neighbor, Stan has come in using a key code he has been given to quote-unquote check the basement for floods. This is why cis men, cis white men specifically are canceled, okay? What the fuck kind of bullshit is this? First of all, I'm alone in the house for one week and the landlord has literally, literally an app on his phone that tells him every time the door opens or shut, Every time the alarm pad is secured or unsecured, he gets a, a text every fucking time, whether he's at work or whether he's in the Dominican. <laughs> um, he has a very robust security system and there are cameras all over the house, which when I moved in at the point of moving in, I didn't even notice there were cameras all over the living room wall. And then he was like, oh, those aren't just, so you know, those aren't set up yet, but they will be. And he never turned around and said the cameras are on. So they could be on or they could not be on. I don't give a shit. This whole week he's been gone. When I go to get my almond milk out of the fridge, I'm wearing like a sports bra and fucking boxing shorts with pineapples on it. Because I don't give a shit. Like if he wants to like sell video of my, you know, file footage of my loose fucking skin um, dangling while I reach in for my almond milk, like good luck, buddy. Good luck to you. But then I just feel like it's so condescending to make it seem like your house is at risk of me being alone in it because that's kind of the angle that I'm getting. He specifically was like, you can't have anyone over while I'm away. Like, don't let anyone into the house. But then he gave a neighbor man that I don't know an access code to the house with instructions to just come in and check in on it whenever he wants. Like, That's not safe for me. And also, you can't just tell someone they are allowed to randomly enter your home without my permission. That's fucked. But it's the kind of condescension that guys have where they think, legitimately think that women are incapable of taking care of themselves and that if you leave them alone for a second, they're going to burn down the house or something. Because I'm sorry, if I went downstairs to do laundry and I noticed there was a leak, I could call my landlord's dad and or call a fucking plumber. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just so condescending. Like, what does he think I'm doing in here? That I need to have another adult come check in on me twice in a seven-day period. 
Because if you're not checking in on me, you're either checking in on the house because you think I'm not capable of watching it, or I'm up to something shady that needs to be, like, busted up. Like, no matter what your thinking is, it's just inappropriate. And I'm very glad I'm moving out of this house. Because as much as I think he is a sweet man, I think he really does not. (laughs) He does not see me as a full-fledged human. (laughs) Like, he does not... He has chosen not to grant me my humanity (laughs) in a way that I'm kind of like not very impressed with. Um, And that not to say that things have been unpleasant, like socially we got along fine. It's just the kind of moves like having another man check in on me while and and somehow that is justified because my landlord has paranoia about his ATVs and his truck and all of his toys that he has out in the garage and in the shed that that justifies the neighbor coming over two times unannounced both times I've been home so who knows if he's come other times but also like the neighbor's fine I'm not accusing him of being a weirdo he's a perfectly friendly man I don't like being un unannounced dropped in on by a stranger who I don't know is particularly safe like what where stands police check so I'm not going to be moving to the village uh that's fine I'm you know I'm sad I thought it would be a fun way to spend the summer um but I'm not like devastated if anything I just need to um make some plans that maybe incorporate not having um, rent as an expense for a bit and, you know, tootling around a bit. I don't know how much I trust my car to make it too, too much longer. Um, but I am taking my license driving test to get my full G license. I waited 10 years. I refused to get a Canadian license because they make you go through these years long hoops called graduated licensing And I've been driving since 1999 and I don't need them to make me take another fucking test again. But I finally switched my license over because it would, I had to for insurance purposes for, to get insurance in Canada. And, um, I'm finally now getting to my full G adult human license and I have to pay $90 and I have to drive in front of a human being for 30 minutes To prove that I'm capable of doing the skill and activity that I have been doing since 1999. Uh, In this case, I mean, it's not like I'm old. It's not like I have dementia. I I did get rusty at driving and when I didn't drive for 10 years. Um, But I'll tell you that in the 10 year period I didn't drive, I probably still drove enough to keep, to pass the fucking road test. Um, so I'm doing that. Hopefully my insurance will go down a bit. I might have to reinsure my car somewhere else for a while. If, um, if I'm in the States for longer than a month, I probably will have to switch my insurance over, which is fine. Um, and yeah, I'm just sort of living my life loosely. I want to get a van and uh, put a bed in the back of it and just like tootle around. Um, and as long as my family believes me that it's not like Getting a van and living in it is not the beginning stage of my full and final complete 
break from humanity and society, I think maybe they will they will uh, support that decision. But I have to convince them that I'm still, like, I'm not going to finally go full weird like they've been assuming I was going to do all along. Anyway, that's been me, Catherine McCormick. You can follow me at McCormcorp. M-C-C-O-R-M-C-O-R-P, McCormcorp, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you want to support the show, the best way to do that, to be honest, is to um, rate and review it on iTunes. Um, if you rate it five stars, uh, four stars, you know, rate it whatever you want. But I would love a rate and review um, on my on my page. Uh, that's literally all you can do right now. There is a thing, um, where if you go to my anchor page, you can, um, contribute, uh, financially to the making of this podcast, which feels weird because I don't do a very technically good enough job to ask to be paid for my time, (laughs) but more so, uh, it is to support, uh, me as an artist and as a performer um, in this time of transition in my very uh, troubled life, full of ups and downs, twists and turns, millennial slash borderline Dickensian housing and work situations that I've been bouncing from for the past God knows how many years. Um, but yeah, so if you would like to contribute financially and help me to keep doing all the weird projects that I am working on I would love that I have been in the position to donate to people's patreons and to people's projects and stuff in the past I am not obviously in that place right now so I definitely appreciate it but don't expect it and I love y'all please let me know if you have listened I would love to hear that you have and what you thought and I hope you have a great week thank you for listening and be well This has been a McCormcorp production.